Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. He is just an obsessive goal scorer. They have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And, and the Bernabeu brings it back. I haven't got a problem with soccer, to be fair. Good ball. What I can guarantee to you is that they want to keep everything secret. Oh, yes, it's that time again. It's the Champions League semi final, second leg. And in the House of Champions today, we got Michael LaHood. I see that smile. We got Nigel Rio Coker trying to get a smile from him. We got Jonathan Johnson getting ready for a haircut. How you doing, boys? JJ, I'll start with you. I hear you've got a hair appointment, so we got to hustle this thing through. Yeah, man. Psyched for it. You know, uh, you, you, you learn to appreciate the hair that you've got the older that you get. I don't. I know that Nigel probably wouldn't know what it's like to have hair because throughout his entire professional career, I've never known him sport anything other than the barnet that he has right now. <laughs> Nigel, care to respond? Let's not forget, Ian, it's a haircut and some colouring. Let's not forget oh, the yes. colouring that you mentioned as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was winding you up about that. I'm not, I'm not that old. No. I can just see JJ right now with all the grandmothers in a row there with the hair thing on, you know, the big the big thing over the top of the head, drying the hair. Mike, how you doing? Can't, can't, can't miss the gossip, though. Uh, well, we're speaking of hair. I got plenty of hair, locks of love for any of you out there, especially you two lads. If you want more hair, come to the house. I'll mail it to you <laughs> if you need. Nah, happy man. Champions League football is back. Good results for my clubs at the weekend. And we're back. So that's definitely go. fake, Mike. There's definitely there's no way that that's real, right? We can tell by the top of it that that's not real, right? Uh, uh, speaking of no hair, um, it is a bit of a memory here because we are talking about the Champions League today. And because Real Madrid are playing, we wanted to just touch upon a, a fact that happened 21 years ago. Mm. JJ, I'll come to you on this one here because uh, Zinedine Zidane scored an absolute wonder in probably the best stadium in world football 21 years ago. <laughs> um, can you remind everybody of this goal that Zinedine Zidane scored, where it was in particular? Yeah, I mean, the the, the stunner at, uh, at Hamden Park. I mean, I think everyone sort of remembers the goal. I mean, the, te- the technique was just phenomenal. But it's, I mean, it, it's kind of one of those weird ones because it's, you know, Leverkusen is probably what the closest they've ever come to like major success on the European scene. And then also... I think many people expected that it was going to be sort of like the beginning of an era of dominance for Galacticos. And basically, it just turned out to sort of be the the pinnacle of the the kind of Galacticos era in terms of the the trophies that they won. And I mean, obviously, uh, you know, that goal is etched in the memory of so many fans of Zinedine Zidane and, and French football in particular. But it's I mean, it still holds up to this day when you watch it back. The technique is phenomenal. Mike wasn't even born when that goal took place. <laughs> Nigel, where were you? 
I was watching it on TV and it was the times of when I always say about when we have conversations about footballers and greatness and stuff, there's just a small group of footballers where every time they played the game, you're on the edge of their seats because what they could do with a football, 99% of other footballers couldn't do it. And that was Zinedine Zidane for his size and stature. He was a ballerina on a football pitch and that volley was just pure technique. If you put it in now in a modern game of football, there won't be one player that could be able to do that because of that's just technically gifted football at the highest level. What a goal. Mike. Oh, I remember watching that goal from my toddler seat since apparently I was a toddler <laughs> at that age. <laughs> but no, that, that was one of the most iconic goals of Champions League football. Mind you, Zidane, he had to justify it. And a player of his caliber still had to justify that massive price tag that was paid to get him from Juventus to Madrid. And boy, did he deliver from the gate and i'm with all of you when they won that champions league and they started adding more pieces i thought they'd keep winning champions league after champions league but they went they lost their way after that lost their most important player to the galacticos claude makalele if they had kept makalele they keep winning man speaking of some of these names though you look you look at those lineups it's incredible you've got michael Ballack in his uh in his leverkusen days yeah. i mean that leverkusen side as well there's some blasts from the past Lu lucio, lucio. I mean, Ben Schneider, Bastuk, yeah, Oliver Neuville as well. But then you look at that Real side as well, some, you know, some really classic names, Morientes, Raul, obviously, Figo, Solari, yeah, Helguera, Salgado. And and this match was notable, if I if I recall correctly as well, because it was the beginning of Iker Casillas' spell of dominance between the sticks for Real as well. Comes on as a second-half sub. You know, JJ, what we've really done here is we've basically warmed you up so you can go and have this conversation with the grannies out there in Paris and you get your hair all done together. We've basically warmed you up for this one. So we got to get on and get on with the game. It is the road to Istanbul. It's the Champions League semi-final, second legs. Um, and Manchester City against Real Madrid to look forward to Inter Milan against AC Milan. Uh, Inter Milan have a 2-0 advantage. Manchester City and Real Madrid tied at one. Let's go to the game that's taking place on Wednesday. Manchester City against Real Madrid. Uh, Nigel, I'm coming to you first on this one because you don't look too happy right now. I'm going to try and pick you up with a little bit here. Real Madrid, and you're quite heavy on the fact that Real Madrid will go in here with a tactical game plan to beat Manchester City. You, you maybe lean towards them getting through this tie, but my question to you would be, how on earth do Real Madrid get through this tie? Because Manchester City will not be an easy task for them. They won't be an easy task. When you look at these two teams, Ian, they're two top teams with world-class players. There's respect from both sides. The edge that I give to Real Madrid is the difference makers they have Rodrigo Vinicius Jr Benzema um, Valverde they've got different a lot more difference makers and I think when you look at the game that we watched the first leg there's an arrogance at Real Madrid where there's a confidence of if they have to go man for man they feel that they're the better team and I think you'd have to agree with that you look at the performance there's always this thing about overthinking and tactics and you talk about the second leg now um, as uh, Ali Al just mentioned, there might be no Camavinga. Maybe. We're still not sure about that. But Real Madrid are just such a stacked side. And they have, they've lost La Liga. Barcelona won La Liga finally. This is their priority. This is their goal. And they always turn it on when it comes to Champions League. Manchester City being at home, they're going to have to be the more aggressive team. You know, they're going to have to treat it like a cup final. Real Madrid are comfortable like that. We've seen them comfortable without the ball. They'll sit. They'll play a counter-attacking football. When you look at world football, they have the best players individually when it comes to those counter-attacking situations in Vinicius Junior. We saw him do it last year. 
I feel that they'll probably be able to do it again this year. I just think that when you go man for man, Real Madrid for me are that bit more special than Manchester City. I mean, I think as well, uh, you know, when you bear in mind some of the changes that Real were able to make over the weekend against Hitafe, sort of, you know, with a view to coming into this game, trying to keep as many players as fresh as possible. Uh, you know, it really feels like, you know, Ancelotti and, and Real have been sort of building up towards this, knowing that this is one of the games that they're going to pick in order to, to deliver one of their top performances. And obviously it's going to have to be, uh, you know, a performance of the highest quality to, to get past City. Uh, you know, I'm expecting it to be similarly tight to the first leg. But equally, uh, you know, Real sort of collectively in the last couple of years have a bit bit more experience uh, of, of sort of knowing what it takes to, to get the result, to, to get it over the line. So, you know, I think that unless City produce something really, really special, uh, you know, we'd have to consider Real slight favourites. I don't think it's going to be sort of as much of a goal fest as we saw last year. But equally, uh, you know, it was an absorbing first 90 minutes and I'm expecting the same here for the second. I think this is going to come down to which team starts fastest. Manchester City, especially when they're playing at home, they start fast and you do not want to give them a goal. It has nothing to do with the people in the stands because no one goes to games at the Etihad. It has everything to do with the momentum this team has when they score a goal. I know I had to get my daily dig at City. But when they score that early goal at home, they're world beaters. Holland gets going. KDB gets going. Arrested KDB. We talked about how Madrid, they rested players. City, because they have depth upon depth, were able to rest some key contributors. But I just wonder if the number of games, if this is where it catches up with Manchester City, the difference makers that Pep Guardiola has at his disposal, he's got some big difference makers on the bench for Manchester City that didn't see the light of day in the first leg. I'm still just boggled by that. Riyad Mahrez is who I'm thinking of. At one the weekend, difference comes maker. In, Name me another one. Julian Alvarez, Phil Foden. Alvarez is not a difference maker. Let's be real. What are you Phil talking Foden, about? No, he's just Phil a World Foden. Cup winner. He's, yes. he's, he's, he just was a, you know, one of the Yes, he's won the World Cup, but he's not a difference maker. There's a, there's when a difference when he comes on the field for City, he does make a difference. No. He's made a... cameo appearances and he makes an impact. But before you go in, I'll, I'll tie a bow on it. This is going to come down to, if I think for Real Madrid, we talk about tactics. In the first leg, what they did well, they were able to play through Manchester City's press. City, they love to go high press. When they played against Bayern Munich, they forced turnovers. Leipzig, in the knockout stages, they've really cranked up the press and teams don't know what to do with it. Bayern Munich in the last tie, when they broke down City's press, they were able to get in on goal quickly. They couldn't finish. Real Madrid, they have players. Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, Karim Benzema. That front three, they are clinical when you give them half a chance. They showed it already in the first leg, and I expect them to be equally as clinical in the second leg. I just think from my experience as well, like we talked about it slightly, and I want to compare it in the sense of we talked about Zidane scoring that goal in the Champions League final vital moment. Real Madrid, as JJ said, have the experience. They've been there before. There's an expectancy when you play for Real Madrid. They know this is their biggest game of their season. They're going to know how to approach it from a tactical and a professional level. And like you said, Michael, Manchester City are vulnerable when it comes to counter-attack. And one of the big differences as well is they have Benzema, a striker who can drop in and link up play. Big difference for Benzema being able to do that than Erling Haaland. Haaland doesn't do that. Haaland is going to be reliant on Kevin De Bruyne getting the ball in the right areas and being able to provide him service. And I think that's the other edge you've got to look at when it comes from an attacking standpoint where Benzema can be a problem for City because he's not just going to run in behind or 
being in the box. He can actually link up and make things happen. Ilkay Gundogan has been a game changer for Manchester City of late, Mike. Um, I'll come to you on this one, obviously, um, talking about game changers. And they do have a number of game changers. And it's a big um, selection issue for Pep Guardiola to get this right against Real Madrid. Because as JJ and Nigel have pointed out very easily, City could find themselves down in this game very quickly if they're not careful. So you need to have difference uh, makers in your field uh, starting the game. You need to have those players on the bench being able to make a difference. Gundogan in particular, obviously, leading this team by example. Great performance at the weekend once again. Obviously, he was uh, under a bit of question after missing a penalty kick uh, recently for Manchester City that Pip wasn't too happy about, even if he did score a double that day. He is uh, certainly a player that Manchester City can ill afford to lose right now. He's the difference maker that maybe Real Madrid are not necessarily prepared for in this game. Well, he is the soccer footballing equivalent to Mr. October, for those of you baseball fans. In English, layman's terms, that means he's clutch when they need him most. In big games, I know NRC, I know, I had to do it. In big games, he delivers for this team. Nigel thought you were talking about Halloween. (laughs) (laughs) Mr. October 31st. No, I I love what I'm seeing from Gundogan. It's been well documented that tactically Man City, they play a box in midfield. Ilkay Gundogan, when... The late stages of the season, last season against Jonathan Johnston's Aston Villa, delivered with those two goals to give them the Premier League title. He turns into almost like Ronaldo, the original Ronaldo, not the one that I don't like anymore. He just puts his head down. The first goal at the – yes, that's it. The first goal at the weekend, the touch, the movement to go into the spaces that Erling Holland leaves, the touch he had on his thigh. He looked like that man right there, Gundogandinho is what I call him in the final third. This guy is world-class. All right, let me get into it here. Um, Is there any way for Manchester City, JJ, that you think they can pretty much play the way they like to play, get an early lead, win this game by scoring two or three goals? Do you think it's going to be, because you mentioned there a moment ago, and I didn't forget that, that you think this is going to be another tight affair. I can't remember the last tight affair I saw Manchester City play at home. And even if it is Real Madrid, we have watched Real Madrid many times this season struggle by conceding goals. Not many clean sheets this season, certainly not compared to last season. So is there a way that maybe we do see Manchester City just go from the very first whistle, try to get early goals, two or three, and then pretty much put this game to bed? Well, I mean, I think one major consideration we'll have to make ahead of this one is the fact that it's probably not going to be the same defensive lineup for Real because Militao was suspended in the first leg. He's back for this one. Uh, you know, I thought the Rudiger, um, you know, paired very well with Alaba for the first leg. Uh, and to be honest, I'd be surprised if Ancelotti dispensed with somebody like Rudiger's services for this game, given his experience, uh, you know, up against City, having been a Chelsea player for, for so many years, but also because of the way that he performed in that first leg. But I don't see uh, a way that Real approached this game without putting Militao back into the defence. Obviously, we've been discussing the possibility that Camavinga, uh, you know, might not be able to, to start. So I guess we'll have to wait and see there because that would be a big blow for Real if they have to gamble on Ferland Mendy. Perhaps even that dictates that Ancelotti goes with sort of a centre-back playing at left-back just to try and keep things a, a bit more solid. But equally yeah. playing somebody out of their position like that, that takes a big risk as well. So I'm curious to see what Ancelotti does in terms of the defensive makeup. But I think... But Militao coming in, uh, you know, technically that makes Real's defense that bit stronger, despite the fact that they did fare quite well up against Haaland and, you know, really sort of, uh, you know, neutralized him for the, for that first leg. We only saw him get a couple of glimpses at goal. Yes, you know, his finishing was off on the night, but 
you know, I think we also need to give massive credit to Rudiger and Alaba for the way that they sort of double teamed uh, on him at times and kept him quiet. I don't know if you can do that two games in a row, though, JJ. That's the one thing with Haaland being at home. Um, and we have seen him in the Champions League where he has somewhat struggled in big games, in big moments against players who are incredibly aggressive, which is a great point you met. Obviously, Mittal would expect to come back in. But Rudiger, um, even though I worry about his discipline and sometimes losing his temper, he basically manhandled Erling Haaland, and he can absolutely have that type of performance again. If he's marking one-to-one, he's probably one of the best in the world to, to do it right now. Uh, such a talented defender. Um, but Erling Haaland is the one. He's the difference maker for me. Uh, Nigel, I want to come to you on this one here. A couple of comments uh, from pr- producer Desi said, Ancelotti said, talking about Kamavinga's injury fears. Uh, he'll recover soon for sure. The knee is stable. He has some discomfort now. Uh, but the important thing is the stability. And he has that 100%. He has some discomfort in that knee, but it is nothing. So it seems like it's nothing from Ancelotti's point of view. Certainly a player that Real Madrid would love to have. He was a key um, instigator of that goal to go 1-0 up at the Bernabeu and I expect him to be out there. I think it would make it a better game if Kamavinga's out there. Nigel, to you, the question from producer Des was, if you've got two players turning up to your five-a-side team, and I know you still play five-a-side, um, you have Erling Haaland turning up and you have Vinicius Junior turning up. You've got two top players turning up here and they're looking for a place in your team. You've only one slot less. Are you taking Erling Haaland or are you taking Vinicius Junior? It depends on my style of play. There you go. Uh, you tried to catch me out with that one, mate. Hey, I've got to have a style of play, and it depends if they fit into. You're well defensive, I, Nigel. Let's not. I'm, let's not I'm be far from boost. defensive, mate. I'm, I'm front foot attacking football, mate. <laughs> so I'm who Nigel you going for then? I'll, I'll go for Vinicius Junior because Vinicius Junior, I think, will add more for me in my team. That's just, and then it's no disrespect to Haaland. I'm not a Real Madrid fan, contrary to what some comments and people might be thinking. I'm a realist. When I watch football, there's certain things that I see differently to others. And when you've played at a very good level and you played with some top players, you see certain things. There's an arrogance about Real Madrid that I've never seen any team bring to Manchester City. They are comfortable to go one-on-one. Every other team we've seen play City are so fearful of City that they double up this and that. And that's something you've got to pay attention to. And that's something that goes in the dressing room. But for me... I'll pick Vinicius Jr. because he can drop off, link up play and still get in behind and still score goals. Mike, did you hear him say Nigel Deserby? Did you hear him say that? <laughs> I, know, I know he snuck that in. That Thank you. you I know Mike? he snuck that in. I, just in the sake and in the spirit of never agreeing with Nigel on anything, I feel like if he's Yang, I'm Yang or whichever, I'm going Erling Holland because this guy is a handful. Look at how many players it takes to defend him in five aside. Give him the well, ball and just get well, out of the way. Well, wait, didn't Ian just say it, it took one guy called Rudiger from the motherland to defend against him? So, how, are many, you making so how many times this year has that happened where someone, what, one, two, two? Yasko Guardiol in that first leg for RB Leipzig pretty much nullified him. And Rudiger, yep. two players in the entire okay. season have managed to do that. Five aside. What did he do in the second leg? What did he do in the oh, second he, leg, Mike? Oh, my Can you gosh. He got absolutely battered in the second leg didn't who even they know playing? which way was who are that? they playing on wednesday they're playing real madrid <laughs> but it's erling holland man to. this okay. guy is the terminator he JJ. is jj shut these you guys know what up you'd yeah i mean I, i'm gonna throw you guys a curveball i'm gonna take no, myself out of my five-a-side team and, t- and take both of these guys <laughs> <laughs> You don't, you don't need my sort of useless Jeremy Menez, like good one day out of 10, goal hanging the rest. Uh, you know, that kind of approach doesn't really fly five aside wise. So yeah, I'd sub myself out and put both of them in. Let me, That's Ian, a great answer. Move on quickly. Let me just add one more thing to this. I've been in that position before. I'm not going to name the player, but I was a big fan. Go, hang, go hanging. 
no. <laughs> yeah, anyway, scoring loads of goals. And I was always questioning, why don't teams buy him? Why don't teams get him? I played with this player. And I'm like, okay, now I see. Because as a midfielder, if you've got a striker, no problem, he's going to put the ball in the back of the net. But as the goals, the game's developing and you need a face, you need someone to come and link up with and they're not really there, not getting involved, it makes it very difficult. And again, it goes to when you talk about tactics, remember what Pep said early on in the season. It's for the team to adapt around and to be good for Haaland. That's his choice. That's the manager. But you look at Real Madrid, they're not adapting around to be good for Benzema. Everyone plays their part. That's a big difference when you're talking about football at the highest level. I rest my case. There's a lot of love here for Nigel. Nigel Foden is having his worst season and scored 14 goals. That's from Vic. He said, same as Sako, who's having the season of his life. Do not unrate Foden right there. I didn't say Ali A, jumping saying, are you playing down Manchester City here, Nigel? Oscar saying, Camavinga avoiding serious injury is a relief. City are the underdogs. It says, Abe Barki. Uh, Ed saying, I never disagree with NRC, but this time he's 100% wrong. Ali A saying, Nigel loves Madrid so much. Oscar, Mikel Arame is a clutch FC. Ed saying, I think the whole football heritage clouds the reality that City will dominate from start to finish. Real may score, but City win the game by two goals to one. Speaking of predictions, let's get to them. JJ, I'm coming to you first, then you, Mike, then Nigel last because he's uh, apparently on the moon today. I'm going to go for 1-1 so it sends it to extra time and I'm going to say that I'm going to say that City sneak it 2-1 after extra time. Okay, JJ. Ooh. Okay. There is a bottle of rosé that you sent a picture of. You must still be drinking that for no, There were several show. there were several bottles several, of rosé yeah, that I sent yeah. a picture of. Wait till you guys see this photo. You can catch it on Twitter. I'm going 2-2. I still think there are goals to be had in this second leg and Madrid to win it in extra time. 3-1 Real Madrid. Who scores? Benzema and Vinicius. And Haaland, Rodrigo. no goal. Yeah, Rodrigo. Haaland. Rodrigo, Vini. Wow. I'm still looking at these comments. The comments are absolutely flying in right now. Real Madrid to win on PK, says Amy. Ali A saying, I want City to win just so Nigel can be in the mud. I like you, Ali A. Ed jumping in and saying, NRC, you were never intimidated by a team name as a player because it sounds like you, you just think City should fear Real Madrid purely because I they're called Real Madrid. You are absolutely right, Ed. I am absolutely fed up of these Real Madrid fanboys, including Nigel Rio Coker talking about football heritage and Real Madrid because they're the master in this competition. You should just expect that they're going to turn up to Manchester City and City will just say, go on, take the title. This is Pep Hold on, hold on, hold on. I never said in one moment that Real Madrid are going to dominate the game. I've always said it's going to be a tight tie. You just said, said it was going to 3-1. Slight edge. <laughs> okay, it can, still be, it can still be a tight game with 3-1. I just said I give the edge slightly to Real Madrid. That's it. I don't know when, was the, when was the last thing. time? I've never feared anyone. No. <laughs> when was the last time that Manchester City lost a home game? Full stop. Mm. When was the last time they lost? Yeah, exactly. Let's go to break, Des. Let's go to break. More to come from the boys when we come back on House of Champions. Ah! This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. 
Price and coverage match limited by state law. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. If you're a US-based fan of the beautiful game, Paramount Plus is an absolute must-have subscription. From Serie A to the Champions League to NWSL and so much more in between. Not sure it's for you? Then you can try one month for free by using the code EUROPE. Welcome back into House of Champions, everyone. I've had a moment to calm myself down. Let's get to the other game that's taking place on Tuesday. Now, Joe, you good? Cat got your tongue? What's up with you? No, I'm just finding out that you're a spirit animal. I'm just trying to work out what animal you are in, in a spiritual way. I've got one for you. A rhino. A rhino. So I'm going. I'm a tiger. Nigel, I'm a tiger. You're, you're a kitty cat, man. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's get to the game that's taking place on Tuesday. Of course, Inter Milan against AC Milan. Um, Inter have that big advantage. Michael, come to you first on this one here. Um, obviously, AC Milan, they're in a crap situation right now. Ton of injuries, down 2-0 from the first leg. Uh, they've dropped out of the top four domestically. They got hammered at the weekend by Spezia. They also got hammered by the Ultras this past weekend. And apparently, the Ultras are back on board with the team. Um, absolutely mind-blowing situation from a team that, if I'm not mistaken, maybe five weeks ago, hammered the champions, Napoli, away from home. AC Milan can put out a top performance, but they're going to need even more than that against this Inter side in the second leg, Mike. This is an AC Milan team that outside of one player, or maybe two, Teo Hernandez does have some attacking pedigree, but outside of one player with pace, the rest of the team is not as athletic or not as dynamic. And that got absolutely exposed in the first leg against Inter, Inter, they were more mobile in midfield. I thought they got overrun in midfield by that, that three of Ch- Kalinoglu coming back. Big impact on him. And what I'm seeing now, and we talked about in the preview last week, set pieces. AC Milan are not a good set piece team. They gave up a set piece goal in that opening goal against Inter. Edin Dzeko scored, but they gave up two set piece goals at the weekend against Spezia, a Spezia team that have now beaten both Inter Milan and AC Milan in Serie A play. So kudos to them. Not an easy thing to do to go to play away. But what I fear for this Milan side is they won't know how to cope with the depth of Inter Milan. Inter Milan, they're able to rest players. Romelu Lukaku and Joaquin Correa got the start, and they look like they've been playing together for just years and years. Look like two class strikers. They're able to rest Edin Dzeko and Lautaro Martinez. Martinez still effective. He's the player that I'm looking at. He was effective in the first leg, running off the ball. He should have, or he could have gotten a penalty kick. And I think he gets a goal in the second leg. And it's one-way traffic for Inter. What about you, JJ? Where are you going with this one here? Obviously, Inter are very difficult to score goals against them. Onana's got seven clean sheets from 11 Champions League appearances this season, the most by any goalkeeper at Inter in the Champions League. And he's been spectacular. So tough to score goals against them. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's going to be an interesting one. I mean, that's something else I think we need to factor in since the first leg is we saw Ben Asa go off injured. That injury actually has ruled him out for the rest of the season. So whatever happens, Milan are going to be without a very influential part of their midfield. Uh, I think the thing that shocked me the most and disappointed me about Milan in the first leg was how poor that defence looked. I mean... You don't expect, uh, you know, a defensive masterclass from the likes of Teo Hernandez uh, at left back. 
But when you're looking at the experience in that central defensive unit, notably Simon Kiar, I, w- I was a bit disappointed by some of the mistakes being made. Let's not forget as well, they were very fortunate to have that VAR overturned penalty, uh, yep. which could have made the, the first leg scoreline even worse. It's just difficult to see without Leao, especially, uh, you know, where the goals might come from. With him, I think they have a chance because that pace is something that Inter's defense was never tested with in the first leg. So it could unlock them. But I mean, it's a, such a tall order to even see them winning by two goals to take it to extra time let alone them actually, you know, overcoming uh, Inter and, and making it to the final. So for me, I think that if Inter get the the first goal in this one, it, it's over. In fact, I think if Inter score at any point over 90 minutes, it's probably done. Uh, the best that Milan can hope for is maybe a narrow 2-1 win or maybe to, to hold them to a draw. But it really feels like Milan's season is petering out at the, the wrong moment, which is a shame. But equally, there have been questions uh, about this squad, sort of whether they needed rejuvenating a bit. Uh, it's just a shame that some of the guys who were perhaps a bit below par in the first leg, like Tonali, for example, uh, you know, you'd expect better from them on uh, on that kind of stage. So, yeah, for me, I, I certainly expect that Inter will get the job done. Uh, I think Milan will try and keep it respectable, though. NRC? I do believe in miracles. I love the story of an underdog, but in this one, there's no miracle that's going to happen. Inter Milan, a superior defensive side. We've seen them throughout this competition, how hard they are to break down. AC is struggling to score goals. There's a lot of pressure on Rafael Leal if he starts. Michael said it as well. Inter do have strength in depth. And if he wanted to throw a spanner in the works this game in Zaghi, he could start Lukaku. They can sit, be comfortable. They've got the home field advantage and they will catch a bad defensive AC Milan on the counter-attack. And if they get that first goal, this game has gone to bed. You know, there is no miracle here happening. Um, I agree. And I, I just think that that's how it's going to go. I think uh, Inter very comfortable and they'll know what's at stake and they're the better side right now all around. That's a great point, Nigel, as well. That first goal is so vital. If AC Milan get that first goal, then it's well and truly game on here. And you'll sense that obviously they're away from home, AC Milan. There'll be more Inter supporters there, but you sense that obviously they'll feed off the energy in the stadium. But for Inter, if they get that, that first goal, it is pretty much hey. game over. Go ahead. I forgot to mention as well, remember that Inter Milan have the experience. They're more experienced side with these players. When it comes to games like this, look for the dark arts. Look for slowing down when the ball goes out of play, taking throwing slowly. Look for the little kicks and niggles like they know. And if Rafael Leal plays, he's going to get special treatment straight off the game. And it could be very discreet, knees to thighs to put him off. Like they've got the experience and experience goes a long way, just like Real Madrid. Carry on. You made a fantastic point about Inzaghi and uh, here's what producer Des put in our notes about Inzaghi on Lukaku. He said, uh, you know him, you know what he can do. It's what we expected during the year. Unfortunately, something unexpected happened both for him and for Brozovic, who took away two indispensable players for many months. But what you see right now is a Lukaku who has approached the last month in the best possible way what i will say about lukaku is he looks a lot healthier he looks a lot fitter he looks ready to go and maybe unfortunately like i hate injuries it's ruined my career and but maybe just maybe because of injury he's fresh he's fresh at the right time i mean mike who are you going with i mean nrc's touching upon a great point right there you got jekyll who scored an absolute banger in that first game um and then you've got lukaku who is on form right now scoring goals of late in particular the weekend who are you going with up top we've haven't really seen Romelu Lukaku start. I stick with Dzeko and Lautaro Martinez because if you need a goal late on, 
You know that Romelu Lukaku, he, he's, I've seen a difference in him accepting his role, is still finding a way to impact games off the bench. And when he gets his starts, he makes the most of it. He's a player that doesn't need much time to impact this team. So I go Jekko and Martinez, because now all three are scoring goals. So why change it? All three are finding ways to be successful. So keep it. Lukaku started at the weekend, Mike, and he scored two at the weekend, even though he scored one in the first half, one in the last seconds of the game here. JJ, that's a good discussion to have, though, right? Because it's a nice problem for Inzaghi right now. They're not necessarily worried about defensively because they're so solid. It's offensively as to who the hell you go with. Yeah, I mean, I think as well, Pioli got caught out in that first leg by expecting that Lukaku would start uh, alongside Martinez and then suddenly Dzeko came in. He'd been out of uh, favour. You know, that worked, uh, you know, kind of both ways. One, it sort of threw Milan off and also two, it really motivated Dzeko. We saw that fantastic goal. So now I think it's, uh, you know, a question of what Inzaghi uh, you know, reckons is going to catch Milan out again or, you know, are Milan just going to, you know, try and prepare completely differently, not focus on who Inter might line up in attack and, and try and focus on getting goals of their own. And to be honest, I think that would have to be the best possible approach because at this moment in time, it doesn't really matter what Inter do in terms of scoring. Like it, Milan know that if Inter you know, get a goal at any point, it's probably going to kill the tie. But whatever happens is if they don't score, if they don't score twice, you know, they're, they're, they're going home after this. So I think Milan really shouldn't be as focused on Inter's attacking lineup now that they find themselves two, goal, two goals down in the tie. They messed it up in the first leg. Uh, this now is about how do you get this Milan team to be the first ones to score the, the goal in this second leg uh, and then potentially try and build on that. That's right. JJ, you're right. I think, all, like I said, the reality of it is all the pressure is on AC Milan. There's no mm -hmm. pressure on Inter Milan. Inter Milan can be very boring Inter Milan and play for, for a draw. And they, they're more than capable of that. But again, you've got Lukaku. If you want to get that first goal, you have no problem starting Lukaku because the reality of it is AC Milan have to be the team that's more aggressive offensively to get that goal. They're 2-0 down. So they have to take risks, take chances, start Lukaku, say, listen, kid, get one-on-one, -on -one, do what you do. You're, you're, you're the fittest you've been this entire season. You're ready to go. You're going to want to score goals. This is Champions League final, potentially. Go in there and do your business and, and they'll be eager. He's also playing for his future as well, Lukaku. We have no idea where he's going to end up playing next season. Let's get to Man some United. Vic <laughs> jumping in and saying, I have a feeling that Milan will turn it around. Ali A saying, is Leal back? It looks like he could be back there. The question will be is, how fit is Leal? That's going to be the massive question right there. Inter playing like a team unlike Milan. Abai, Abarki jumping in. Uh, Ed jumping in and saying, Dzeko wants to show Pep he should have never let him go. I mean, Dzeko is mm. just like never ending in his career. He's also almost 47 years old. Uh, Correa says, Amy. Uh, then we have, a. Um, he had to mention heritage once again. <laughs> Somebody mentioned heritage once again. Don't mention heritage, all right? We're in another part of the show right here. Um, Ed also jumping in to make a great point. Can we just take a second here to mention Barella? It's not just Barella who could be a difference maker for Inter. I think in the first leg, you recognize that the importance of set plays, corner kicks, defending corner kicks, set plays, Chalanoglu on the ball and set plays. He can make magic happen, this guy. I've never seen Quick a guy strike a ball like him. On a Quick point on that, Ian. So Chalanoglu's been out for a decent portion of the second part of the season. He comes in, enter, start scoring goals. Prior to that, they'd been stop-start, inconsistent in league form, really propagating their Champions League campaign on defense first and goalkeeping. He's come in, they can't stop scoring. So his impact cannot be understated in midfield. Mike, if only he gave I've got, a shit. I've, I've got, I've got <laughs> another one. I've, yeah. Go ahead, JJ. Sorry. Well, no, I've got, I've got another one 
for you guys, actually, when we're sort of talking about Inter Milan and kind of underrated players in that setup, look at DiMarco. DiMarco is an absolute oh, key player exciting. for this Inter Milan side. And I think he's got a Champions League leading like five assists from open play or something at, at, at the moment. He is definitely somebody who I think Inter would have problems if they, they had to do without him. And you can see how key he is. I mean, Inter rotated so many of the players over the weekend, but he stayed in that lineup. Uh, you know, that could potentially be sort of a big risk if Inter are building towards the final that he gets overused because I was really impressed with him uh, in the in the game against Benfica and also again against uh, AC in that first leg as well. I was watching when he came off the field at the weekend there and his hair is very weird, isn't it? It's very weird. It's like a very white head and then he's got this dark beard. Uh, you're absolutely right, but he's only had nine appearances as well to get those five assists. Nine appearances in the Champions League, five assists. I mean, across the board, Inter are very difficult to beat, as are Italian teams in European competition as well right now. It's really impressive what Serie A sides have done. So um, it has been uh, interesting, to say the least, to see these two teams go head to head, especially now we get a second leg of it. I have no idea which way I'm going to go, except for the fact that it's, I don't see a lot of goals once again here. Uh, JJ, we'll go to you first, then we'll go to you, Mike, then we'll go to you, Nigel, who seems to be confused by what I just said right there. Uh, <laughs> but before man. I do, before I do, JJ, producer Des, jump back in again. He wants to know about the UEFA coefficients. As I just mentioned there, about Serie A teams doing so well in European competition, certainly rattles the cage just a little bit here with UEFA coefficients. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, fantastic season for Italian clubs, not just when you're looking at the Champions League, when you're looking at the Europa League with, with Roma uh, and their advantage. Could even have it in the, the Europa Conference League as well, although Fiorentina are up against it, against Basel. Uh, the, I mean, the funny thing is, like in terms of the big losers from Europe's top five this season, Ligue 1 you know, is by far and away the, the league that is really losing. But funnily enough, West Ham coming back against RZ last week Crazy. has basically guaranteed that Ligue 1 will start 2024-25 because of the cutoff period with four clubs that go into the Champions League. So that is a big boost for them. But it's also crazy that they're probably going to start next season behind the Netherlands in terms of being actually sort of ranked as a top five nation. So massive pressure on France to, to sort of up their game. Uh, and you look at, it, look at it at this moment in time, you know, Premier League, La Liga, you know, miles and miles ahead. But even the Bundesliga and Serie A, they're so far ahead of Ligue 1 right now. So it's not a huge surprise to see them getting caught up by the likes of the Netherlands. Uh, you know, they've always had that kind of historical battle with Portugal to sort of be established as one of the top five teams. But for the Netherlands and Belgium to now sort of be in there and on the verge uh, of overtaking Ligue 1, that is extremely worrying. But can't take away from, you know, Italian clubs in Europe this season. It's been a phenomenal campaign for them and that'll do them good, uh, you know, for, for the years to come as well. JJ, you've clearly not been watching the Scottish Premiership, all right? I mean, it's definitely up there with... <laughs> it's up there with the Sierra Leonean Premier League, Ian. <laughs> Those two are going neck and neck. But, but JJ, in all seriousness, right, if League R kept most of the young French talent that yeah. you see sprinkled in the Premier League, predominantly the Premier League, it could be actually you, very competitive mm -hmm. if they kept most of it. They've got some young, talented players. We're not talking about old. They've got a lot of young, talented players all in the Premier League. If they Most them of them are coming from there, Nigel. Most of the young, talented players are coming from France. You, yeah, you mentioned the Premier League, right? But that's the cream of the crop that goes to the Premier League. You look at the Bundesliga right now, you go through some of the youth academies, go through yeah. into the first teams. Yeah. They're all French players. I know, that's what I'm saying. If they kept them in the French League with these French France, clubs, yeah. then they'll be a lot more competitive than we're seeing.
Yeah, I mean, it's sort of at, at risk of making it a really lengthy argument. I'm going to try and keep it as short as possible. I think the biggest problem that France has That's all we've is got for in... today. Thanks for tuning in to host the champions. <laughs> Sorry, JJ, finish off. No, it's just in terms of the squad building. I think that's the big issue that French clubs have because you have a lot of French teams that if you base uh, sort of the argument on their starting 11, they can go toe to toe with quite a few good teams in Europe. They don't have that same strength and depth. And there's been this historic uh, inability to, to, to stay competitive domestically and continentally, which is why you see that some of these French teams sort of get caught in two minds once they get beyond the group stage. What should they prioritize? Uh, you know, end up sort of prioritizing neither of them. So they drop off in the league and they go out of Europe and it's, you know, it's disastrous. And that's why you have such a big amount of turnover and so many different teams representing France across the different European competitions. But the league is in uh, in the process of taking that in hand and will be looking to incentivize European achievements in the future. So I think Ligue 1 is on the verge of being back on the up, but they really need a big season next season. Let's if they stop going on strike, they'll be all right, innit? Let's uh, <laughs> let's keep this on the back burner and actually have a good conversation about this in the summer when we're lacking um, some conversation. <laughs> I think it would be a good idea. We could get stuck into the different leagues as to where the benefits and the negatives are. And especially in France in particular, JJ, I'd like to know about the academies more. I actually spent a week in France. I, was, I went to a club called Laval. I think they just won this past weekend. I went to a club oh, called man. Laval and um, I fucking hated every single minute of it. I did not enjoy a second of it. But... Um, it was kind of cool to see the culture and the way the young players were in academies and how they were treated over there and stuff like that. Do, really do, you, want, do you want to know something wild? You've just picked the one club out of all of the professional clubs in France that are about to try and bring in a pay-to-play system. Literally, oh. of, all of, the, of all of the academies you could have picked. Across they got the an American, American ownership. Is that American <laughs> they ownership? Don't, they, don't, they don't. That's probably the worst part about it. <laughs> all right. I got to get score predictions. We got to get to break so we can whip through this because we are way over here. JJ, give me a prediction for the Milan Derby second leg. Mike, then Nigel. 1-1. One, 2-1, one. One, Inter. 2-0, Inter Milan. All right. Let's get to break. When we come back, we'll discuss what's happened in Europa League and Europa Conference League in rapid fashion. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome back in the House of Champions. Michael LaHood, Nigel Rio Coker, Jonathan Johnson, and Ian Joy with you. My wife just texted me, just making sure I'm okay. She heard a lot of screaming right there. She thought someone had actually broken into the house. Nope, we're all good. Let's rock and roll. Uh, turning attention to Europa League and Europa Conference League. Leverkusen against Roma. Roma have a slight advantage by a goal. Sevilla against Juventus. That one is tied up at one. And that's where I begin here. JJ, I'm coming to you on this one here. Paul Pogba at the weekend. The scenes were disastrous. I watched the game. 
Um, he looked uh, very, very excited to be out there. And then all of a sudden, after a strange cross into the box, a strange movement, he went down. He walked towards his boss, and you could see immediately from his face he knew something was wrong. This is not good. First start in just over a year. Um, and I just kind of want to get your feeling from it, obviously being a French player himself. Yeah, it's it's not good at all. Um, you know, it sounds like Pogba season's over already. I mean, 22 minutes into it, it's it, it's pretty tragic. Um also, it feels kind of sadly predictable. It's kind of in line with what we've seen from Pogba the last couple of years in his career. And, you've, you know, fingers crossed that he does manage to turn it around. I mean, I think that certainly, you know, puts a dampener on any hopes of Juventus maybe trying to cash in on him or using him to potentially bring somebody else in. Uh, you know, they're now going to have to get him back on the pitch as quickly as possible. But you saw that glimpse when he came on, uh, you know, last week that, you know, he can still add that bit of magic but, you know, there are going to be major question marks now for the remainder of his career, whether he can be, uh, you know, fit enough to, to, to really even function, you know. And I think as well, there's going to have to be massive question marks now about whether we even see him play at international level again. It's not just him. You've got Engolo Conte as well, who's Great had point. physical issues. Uh, you know, this has sort of heralded the, the, the passing of the baton uh, for Les Bleus in terms of, you know, bringing in some of that new midfield talent. And it's, it's sad. Um, you know, but equally at the same time, uh, you know, I think it now, you know, offers up an opportunity for Didier Deschamps to move forward with other talented players. Uh, and this was always going to be the risk for Juventus as well. They knew that they were buying damaged goods when they moved for Pogba to bring him back in. Uh, you know, it's very rare that a player will come back and be better the second time round than they were the first. But I don't think anybody foresaw this going as disastrously as it has so far. Well, this has been a Shakespearean tragedy for Paul Pogba in the Juventus jersey. And JJ, everything you said, I agree with. But let's go back to when Juventus were monitoring this player. He was injured at United before moving to Juventus. You got an injured player who was rehabbing, coming into preseason, supposedly going to be fit, and then his body fails him and breaks down. This was always going to be a tall order for Paul Pogba and Juventus to be reunited. And it feels so good. Well, it's felt so bad. And I feel for him as a former player. But I, I just wonder what's happening off the field. Because we've seen his focus linger away from football and into the business side, the sponsorship side. And is he really putting in the extra hours to get that, fit. That's, that's always been there though, Mike. I think uh, obviously it's very difficult for a youngster who's had uh, immediate success at such a young age to keep their focus, especially when you consider your surroundings, your group, your friends, your family, a lot of them like the attention as well. It's difficult to maintain that focus. Injury is something I put in a completely different side of it. Sometimes your body just simply doesn't react. And I'm telling you, I can tell you from personal experience, you know, I, I had injuries my whole career. My whole career was ruined because of injury. My mental health was ruined because of injury. And I can't even begin to imagine. You saw the tears from Paul Pogba's face there, what mentally he's dealing with. Now, he wants to be out there. We know he could be one of the world's greatest players if he was playing week in and week out. And it's a shame to see this type of injury. A couple of comments. Ali A saying, Pogba is done for me. It's a brutal moment for any footballer when you realize your body just can't keep itself together. Great point right there, Ed. Rafa saying, Mike hitting the nail on the head. The whole world knew about Pogba's injury problems and then uh mike graham soonus lahood says matt osman <laughs> right there <laughs> uh quick predictions for europa league do you want to add nrc yeah you're right in what you're saying what we've got to also understand is sometimes it's also about rehab it's different from different clubs sometimes it might not be the play it might not be the, the way the player is if you go to a different if you go to another club 
the way that they structure how you rehab as a player might be different to what worked for you in another, uh, another club. So that plays a part. Not necessarily who's going to have the best doctor or the best physio. That plays a big part in how you see these situations turn out as well. I, I don't want to criticize you, mate, because you are right. I mean, how he handles yeah. himself off the field is tremendously important to your recovery and rehabilitation. But sometimes yeah. your body just doesn't answer and there's nothing you can do about that. We've seen some of the world's best players have problems like that. I mean, yeah. let, let's go back to even in the Premier League. In your days, Nigel, Michael Owen... Digsy, all those injury problems they had, there's nothing they can do about that. You know, maybe they could uh, drink a bit less and focus a bit more, but, you know, injuries uh, is the worst part. Yeah. I think as well, I think as well, like, you know, factor in that there's been quite a lot of, I wouldn't say necessarily all tragedy, uh, sort of away from the pitch for Pogba, but it's been a lot of trauma. You know, it's not only sort of the blackmail situation with his family, but you've got his longtime agent, Mino Raiola, passing away. You know, that's a, yeah. a lot of stuff to kind of handle, you know, a lot of kind of loss, uh, you know, and I think as well, it must have built up this massive sense of frustration because you said like he looks so excited to be getting back on the pitch. And I yeah. think that often contributes towards players pushing themselves too much, too quickly, uh, you know, are trying to ask their body to do stuff that it just simply can't do at that stage. Uh, you know, Great and that point. risks re-injuring, uh, you know, what's already quite a damaged part of their body. JJ, that's a fantastic point. Actually, just real quickly, I know this is a four-hour show, but this real quickly is an important topic to discuss right here because Nigel and Mike, I want to get your points real quickly on this one. When I was injured, and it was forever in my career, I've, I struggled to play 25-plus games in a single season because of hamstring injuries. My knees were all messed up. I had a bad injury when I was 16. I could say so many different stories. But mentally, the only place I was okay mentally was when the whistle blew and I was, I was healthy and I was on the pitch. I had freedom. I had just this freedom to be able to express myself, to be myself. And the training ground gave me that too, but not as much as being out there on the pitch when there's 20,000 fans out there screaming, shouting, you've got pressure to play, to win. There's no feeling like it. And I always push myself back too quickly because I, I craved that feeling. Do you agree with that, Nigel? thousand percent. Uh, I can't disagree with you more. It, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I agree with you. Um, it is. It's that there's such a freedom when you get on the pitch and the mental side of things of when you're injured as a player, it's such a big toll that fans don't really get to understand. You start to worry if you're going to lose your place in the team. You don't play well and the team starts winning and winning without you being in the team. Then people start thinking they're a better team without you in there. So all of that mental toll weighs on you. And then sometimes you do rush back when you're not fully ready because of the different levels of players that you are and how the team looks at you so there's so much and you're just so desperate to get back on there to get that feeling again to get that euphoria by being on a football pitch and you know I agree with you yeah I think the hardest part for me was always once the team found momentum or if the team was pushing for a trophy or pushing for something you feel left out when you're on the sidelines yeah. you feel left out when you're in the training room and not on the pitch because winning there is nothing like it pursuing a championship pursuing a trophy it's a feel-good factor within your locker room unlike any other and when you get on the field my biggest issue was always trying to almost overcompensate by getting stuck in prove to myself maybe going overboard with the tackle and then maybe finding myself re-injured again and off. So I definitely feel for Paul Pogba and in what I'm saying about his off field life, it's not just a criticism of, you know, on player, but that does factor in, in, in just everything that's happened with him. It's so hard to stay focused in what JJ brought in, in the traumatic side. I totally missed that with Mino Riola. There's a saying, and last thing for me, there's a saying in sports psychology, the body keeps the score. 
when you experience trauma, it goes somewhere and it goes into your body and muscle tightness, things that maybe you haven't dealt with in a psychological basis, it does show up in your body. When I was at Hamburg, I had a coach called Thomas Dahl. He was a famous German player from East Germany, he went on to play for West Germany, obviously, and uh, was a part of the World Cup and all this stuff. I had hamstring injuries galore. And he had this thought, this idea that it was my wisdom teeth that were causing hamstring injuries. So within about a week, he had me in the dentist. I swear, Nigel, this dentist had his knee on my chest, pulling out my wisdom teeth, trying to correct my hamstring injuries. And tell me that doesn't mess with your head, with your oh mental. Absolutely. What, what, is it, what is it about German managers and the bizarre <laughs> like remedies for injuries? What, what, wasn't there that famous it's, one for Megat as well, where he told yeah. Breda Hangeland to like rub some cream cheese on his like uh, calf and like call his mum or something? Magat, he was he was special. <laughs> he was a different kind of group. He's still around. He's still yeah. around now. All right, we got to whip around the results from uh, Europa League and Europa Conference League. We can get predictions from each and every one. Who goes through between Leverkusen, Roma, Sevilla against Juventus? Uh, we'll start JJ, Mike, Nigel. I'm biased, so I'm going to say Juve, but really that's only because I want them to go through because it protects <laughs> the French coefficient. So it wouldn't <laughs> surprise me if Sevilla go through. And I think Roma are going to do it, actually. Mm. Oh, those are enticing predictions. I'm going Sevilla. First leg, I thought Sevilla was overall the better team. They didn't get that second goal. They've been good at home. Sevilla to go through. And then Leverkusen. Liked what I saw in the first probably 30, 40 minutes. If they had gotten that goal, I think they get a goal at home and it's all to play for. Leverkusen go through. Cut the ball crap. Sevilla and Roma final. <laughs> I'm going for the opposite, Nigel, just because I don't want to agree with you. I'm going for UV Leverkusen final right here. Let's get to the Conference League and to the teams that really matter. Nigel, I'm coming to you first on this one. Who goes through? Uh, AZ, West Ham, Basel, Fiorentina. Who goes through here? We'll go Nigel. Then we'll go to JJ. Then we'll finish off with Mike. I'm going for Basel, West Ham final. I'm in that really unenviable position where I'm going with Nigel's choice. Mm. I'm going to disagree with you on one team. I'm going Fiorentina and West Ham. I've said it from the start. I'm sticking with my guns. Fiorentina do have a good attack. I just watched Azed Alkmaar take a 5-0 halftime lead at the weekend, and they looked bloody electrifying. So I'm going for Azed Alkmaar to spring a surprise on West Ham. And I'd love to see Basel make the final here. It'd be probably the worst outcome of uh, these four teams for a final in a European <laughs> competition. Uh, but one of my former teammates just been appointed the new boss at Basel uh, from the summer onwards in Timo Schultz. So I'm hoping that Basel do well so that he can be in a nice European place next year. Uh, great show today, boys. This one I came into hoping that I could do it in about 30 minutes because I've got a lot of things to do today. It only took us 52 minutes to get through this show thank you to everybody who took a big part in this one to everybody out there we've got a lot of people jumping in with your comments today it's been absolutely brilliant thank you so much uh please make sure you take a minute to leave us a rating and a review on a favorite podcast platform we are available on apple podcast spotify stitcher and anywhere else you listen to your podcast also available as video so as well subscribe to us on youtube leave comments uh, share the show as much as you possibly can as you can see we enjoy talking we enjoy being together we enjoy having some fun everybody out there make sure you have a great time enjoying these uefa competitions this week we will be back again Again, after the Champions League final whistle on Tuesday. We'll see you then.
May 23rd. I want to go back to normal. What's normal? The Paramount Plus original series, Evil Returns. We've already hunted werewolves and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. I have visions of hell. Make it stop. Make it shut up. You're not gonna survive this. Evil. The final season. Streaming May 23rd. Only on Paramount Plus.